I take it very seriously uh, when I get opportunity to speak to you and to anyone. I get lots of opportunity to go around the world now, now preaching, and it's my privilege. And um, I didn't have a great plan this time last week. You know, we had Steve, Pastor Steve Graham as a guest last week, and it's nice to relax and listen to what he says. But anyone who's preached, and, and, and Jenny even earlier was talking about leading communion, take it seriously. You say, okay, God, what do you want to say? And I was having a moment on Tuesday and saying, God, what is it? I never just want to get up and give you a nice word. Because nice words are nice, but they don't change anything, do they? I want to bring a word that changes something. And I was sitting there and thinking, okay, God, what is it? And I was sitting right next to one of our bookcases at home, and I spotted this book called Let It Go by T.D. Jakes. Anyone read it? Anyone seen it? Anyone heard of it? He's one of my favorites, T.D. Jakes. Um, if you've ever seen him preach, he sweats a lot, and it's like the anointing comes on him. He has a, someone come up and dab his brow. It's my dream to have a brow dabber. And uh, <laughs> not seeing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My dream's done, bye. <laughs> and um, I, I just spotted this, and uh, I took it off the shelf and just flicked through, and there is a chapter in it called Change Your Clothes. And in that moment, I was like, that's it. God said to me, Barry, I want you to do a preach called Change Your Clothes. This is, this is ultimately, this book is about, it says, forgive so you can be forgiven. Just listening to that title, is there anyone here who thinks, I'd love to read that, that might help me, because I want to lend it to you. There you go, first person. <laughs> Sorry if that got you in the eye. Please forgive me. <laughs> Change your clothes. So my mind went into all places. If God challenged you to preach a message to a brilliant bunch of people that was entitled, Change your clothes, what would you say? I'm like, okay, God. So my mind went to funny places, and the first place it went is to this picture here. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Now, by raise of hands, have you ever been guilty of wearing this style of clothing? Come on. Yes, stand at the back. Go on. That's what I'm talking about. I'm sure there's some more who are not going to be so honest. Father, forgive them. Once upon a time, that's what people wore, and they thought they looked good. Maybe they did in the time. There was the, then there was another thought, and it was this picture. Yes. Yes. Thank, thank you, Ellie, for sending that one in for me. And um, by raise of hand, have you ever owned a shell suit? Yes, that's one. Round of applause for the shell suit owners. Yes, yes. Whose idea was shell suits for crying out loud? And I've chatted to my parents about these things in the past. And if you know my dad, he has got a loft full of old clothes. Because he says this, they'll come back round. <laughs> they'll come back round. The reality is they've never come back round. And my mum's like, Barry, could you sneak up there and throw them out? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, but okay, God, that's made us laugh. And we get that. But what are you trying to say? And in essence, I believe God is saying, the clothes you've been wearing aren't fit for your future. You've got to change your clothes if you're going to better handle the dreams God's put in your heart. Something's going on that we need to understand. And so what we've done in those pictures is we've looked back at what we used to wear. I did own a shell suit. In fact, I probably owned three or four, but I rocked them. And you look back and you think, okay, but biblically speaking, there's more than one way to look back. There's several, but I want to highlight two to you. 
One way of looking back is just like Lot's wife. And God said to them, don't look back. Now, what, why wouldn't he want them to look back? They'd come from Sodom, this place which was so abhorrent to God, he said, enough. They were, it, the sin was everywhere. Even when the angels went in, they tried to rape them. It had got that bad. And God said, enough. And so he called out, and, got, and Abraham got Lot and his family out, because they, ne- they were cousin nephews. And, and, he, and he's walked out, and God said, don't look back. Why does God not want you to back, look back at somewhere that is so awful? What happens? She looks back, Lot's wife, and she turns to a pillar of salt. And there's probably 101 reasons we could you know, put out there for why is it salt, but one of the reasons is this. Salt's a preservative. Salt keeps something in a condition. And if we've lived in a place which is not good and we keep looking back, it's holding us there. It's a preservative. You want to move forward into a better future, but you're forever looking at your terrible past. And you can't go forward all the while you're looking back. Can you see that? So God said, don't look back. Can I encourage you right now? If you've had difficulty in your life, let's not pretend it didn't happen, but don't stay there. Don't keep looking back so it's holding you there. There is a better future for you. There is something to get hold of for you. God has put a dream in your heart and he wants you to take hold of it. But if you're going to forever say, oh, but Pastor Barry, you don't know what I've been through. Maybe I don't. But if you keep talking about it, keep looking at it, keep holding on to it, you're not going to be able to go forward. Can you see it? You've got to change your clothes to be able to move forward. But then there are other ways of looking back, which I think can be healthy. I spent some time with Pastor Steve during last week, and he just opened up this great thing about Abraham and altars. Abraham's the father of our faith. But when you look at his story, ultimately when you unpack it, it boils down to four altars. It all boils down. You'll find them in Genesis 12, 13, and 22, these four altars. And what it is, is really where, where, where God revealed something to Abraham. He had this great moment with God, and he didn't want to forget it. So he stopped, and he created this structure in order to say, I will remember this, because you did something for me. And the first one was the altar of praise. And it's, it's at that moment where God said to Abraham, I'll make you the father of many nations. And here is Abraham at the time thinking, I'm not even the father of one yet, but I've realized you've given me a revelation. It's a possibility. I'm, my condition right now isn't where I want to be, but you're putting something in my... I'm going to put an altar of praise. I'm going to remember this moment. And then there's an altar of prayer. And this altar is, is, is erected between Bethel, which means the house of God, and Ai, which means ruin. And it's this great moment where God says, I want you to pray so that prayer can be the bridge between people who are living in ruin and people who are in the house of God. He says, I want you to remember that. We still need to remember that. Prayer is so powerful. The one thing we can do, if we can't reach into everyone's difficult situations, we can pray. And what will prayer do? It creates a bridge from people who are struggling to allow them to come into the presence of God. He created this altar of prayer. Then there's the altar of peace. And the altar of peace with Abraham is when he became so successful and Lot became so successful that they started to argue over whose stuff was what. And he said, let's not argue. Let's have peace about this. Let's go our separate ways. And Lot had first choice and he went off and he went to Sodom and that didn't turn out well. But they they created this altar. Let's let let there be peace between us. Let's remember that. And it's this, this extra altar. And then the final altar he makes is the altar of provision. When God said to Abraham, would you sacrifice your son for me? The firstborn that you've always dreamed of. 
And then at the last moment, God provides the ram. And he created this altar and said, you provided for me. Even in the last moment, you provided for me. I'm never going to forget this moment. And so when you look at his story, he actually revisits some of those altars. And it's good. So looking back into in, like Lot's wife isn't great, isn't going to help you. But looking back and remembering the moments where God stepped in and revealed something to you can really propel you forward. Can you see it? You know, I started thinking, well, you know, what does that mean for me? And I've looked back over my spiritual journey. I still remember to this day at seven years old, the day I prayed my prayer to say, Jesus, you're welcome in my heart. I remember it. It was on the bottom bunk of my bed in Chelmsford. My mum was putting me to bed and she'd pray for us every single night. And, and it was just, I remember the decision. I want to pray that prayer now. I'll never forget it. It's an altar in my life. And I won't forget that, and it helps me move forward. I remember at 13 years old, I went to a Christian camp, and they were talking about the Holy Spirit. And they said, does anyone want to be filled with the Spirit? And I put my hand up, and I spoke in tongues for the first time. I cried. It's just like, there's a moment in my life I never want to forget it. Do you know why I don't want to forget it? Because when I come up against difficulty, I'm like, oh, God, what's happening? He said, but remember, I was there, and I'm still here now. And that moment when you engaged with me and you felt so empowered that you couldn't express your love for me in, in, your, in your English language, the heavenly language came out. Father, I love you. And it's just that moment in my life. I remember the moment when God called me to start this church. I was at a Hillsong meeting in London, very big meeting. And... Uh, they had this revelation moment of the, what the pastor had said and the band crashed and made a lot of noise. and Everyone cheered, sort of 4,000 people cheering. In that cheer, I know, I know, I know. God said to me, Barry, would you lead a church in Colchester? I want you to do it. I just know. Has anyone had that experience where you just know? Yeah. You just know. Come raise your hands. Anyone had that experience? Yeah, a few people. Just, you just know. I just know. The reason I know I was on the page is sitting in front of me. People who start churches rarely get out of their front room. But 17 years later, what an awesome church you are. I know. It's an altar moment. I'll never forget it. I remember the time Sarah and I had been leading the church maybe 10 years and we'd sacrificed lots. And, you know, we came to the point where there was a bill coming up and we couldn't pay it. And we're like, oh, I got a bit annoyed with God. But crying out loud, God, you know what we've been through. You know what we've done. And now I can't pay this bill. Annoyed with God. I don't think he minds that. Because it's relationship. The very next day, an envelope got put through our, our front door with a in brown envelope. And all it just said was, God told me to do this. And there's a thousand pounds cash in it. I'll remember that moment forever. It's, it's an altar moment for me. And so if ever I come up to the place where I'm like, God, how are we going to get through this? I can revisit my altars. And say, so, yeah, but that, that isn't holding me in the past. That's propelling me forward. Can you see it? So not all looking back is bad, but is it preserving you in a poor condition or is it propelling you forward? Only you can decide, but I want to say altars are good. Pastor Steve told us this, in Tonga, the Tongan way they view moving forward is they move forward backwards, which is very opposite to how we would view life. And the reason they walk backwards is because they can look at the moments God's touched their life and then go with confidence. He did that, and he'll look after me. He did that, and he'll look after me. That's how they view moving forwards, which I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Have you got altar moments? Could you remind yourself of your altar moments, that moment where you say, I am stopping what I'm doing. I'm going to remember this point forever. 
And when I need to lean on it, it will be there. Are you hearing me? So looking back in terms of, you know, clothing, change of clothes, this idea, what, what is God saying? Well, biblically speaking, quite often your outer garments declare an inner condition. Let's look at this passage together. Jonah 3 and verse 5. It says this. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And the story is this, that the Ninevites had become horrendous people. They were bullies. They were successful in war. Without getting too graphic, they had perfected the art of skinning people alive. So people could see their own skin, but they weren't in it. That's horrendous. But that's the people they were. So when God said to Jonah, go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent, he's thinking, not me. Thank you very much, God. So before we ever judge Jonah about running off on a ship, that's what God asked of him. And so we know the story. You know, he jumps over, he gets chucked off, he gets swallowed by a whale, gets spit back up. He goes to the Ninevites and he says to them, God says, repent. Imagine having that conversation. He must have been worried to say the least. <laughs> but they believed. And so what they did is they removed their outer garments and they put on sackcloth. Now, I haven't seen sackcloth or what it would have looked like then, but I'm going to suggest it's horrible and itchy. But I'm going to suggest it's unattractive and probably some beige colour. But I'm going to suggest it's just not attractive at all. But what it's saying is what I'm wearing on the outside is reflecting what's going on the inside. We are sorry, God. This is not comfortable. I haven't looked good and I'm showing you. Can you see it? So the outer garment was showing off something that was happening on the inside. In Mark chapter 11, we find this brilliant passage where Jesus has gone through the temple and he's upset. They're trading and they're using the temple for all kinds of stuff that just isn't godly. And Jesus said, this is a house of prayer. Enough. And we know he got angry. It's okay to be righteously angry, church. Jesus was. And he cleared the temple and he comes out of the temple and there's this fig tree. And it's this weird thing that happens that he curses the fig tree and the fig tree withers. And there's various takes on that. Probably the most popular and correct one is that it wasn't bearing fruit. The leaves were on the tree, but there was no fruit. And if you understand the fig tree, the, the, the fruit comes before the leaves. So therefore it wasn't bearing fruit. And so the, the connotation is, I've just come from the temple. If it's not going to bear fruit, let's forget it. Which, if we can take that seriously, puts a demand on us. Are we going to be fruitful, church? Are we going to be the kind of church that Jesus says, yes, there you are, or the kind of church that says, come on. But there's another interpretation, and I like this. It's that Jesus was just about to enter Holy Week. He was just about to go to the cross. And he knew that he was going to die a death he didn't deserve, but his blood was going to become my covering and your covering. When we accept the blood of Jesus, the Father looks down through the filter of the blood of Jesus and sees the righteousness of Christ. Not my awfulness or your awfulness, but his goodness. It covers us. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they covered their shame with fig leaves. And is it that Jesus says, you're not wearing them anymore because there is a better clothing coming? Can you see? Now, that's just another interpretation. We aren't called to cover ourselves with outer garments to cover our sin. Jesus' blood does that for us. Can you see it? And so there's all these pictures going on about clothing. When you look at the story of the prodigal son, the son 
goes away, loses all his money and thinks to himself, I'll just go back to my dad and I'll just be a servant because, you know, I've messed up and I'm regretful now and I've ruined it. But the dad sees him. The, the, this passage is called the prodigal son, but it's really about the grace of a father. And the father sees his son in the distance and he runs out and he says, you're home. Yes, you're home. And he's like, dad, dad, I'm so sorry. And he's like, shush, I don't care. You're just home. And I think sometimes we feel like we've moved away from Christ a little bit and we've messed up and we, we're like, oh, I might go to church, but they might not like me anymore and I've messed up. And what does the father feel? Do you know what he feels about you? You're home. Yes. Don't worry. Let's go forward together. Got you covered. And this is what he did, the dad, in the prodigal son. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts a cloak around his shoulders and he puts sandals on his feet. Clothes. All clothes. But it's not about putting clothes on. It's about what they represent. You see, the ring on the finger is a symbol of authority. You see, when the dad wrote a letter that needed signing, he would dip it and, and punch the ring on it. And then they knew, oh, that's come from authority. He put the authority on the son. You think you've messed up. You think you're not good for anything. But the father says, I'm giving you the authority. Something you wear. The cloak is the covering. You're covered here. And he's just like, wow, I thought I'd messed up. I thought I was a no one. I thought you didn't love me anymore, but I carry authority and I'm covered. And the sandals were a symbol of sonship, symbol of family, because servants didn't wear sandals. Do you know why they didn't wear sandals? Because it stopped them running away. But the son wasn't going to run away anymore. The son was like, oh, wow. And so you can see what's happening. The outer garments are representing something that is inner true. And so when God is talking to us about changing your clothes, I don't think he's talking about shell suits, actually. A good giggle. He might have been talking about the flares. But he's really talking about what's happening in here. Interesting how that dovetails with our communion message. What's going on in your heart? What's really going on here? You look at Ephesians 6 and we all know the armor of God. I know they've been doing that recently in our children's ministry. Now what we don't do is literally walk around with a shield. Literally walk around with a sword. I know we're in Colchester but it's still going to look awkward. <laughs> Got my helmet on. One of the things I've always highlighted when I've taught the armor of God is there's no back piece. We're protected while we're going forward. But the moment we run away, let's move forward church. Let's move forward, church. But it's pictorial. It's showing about outer garments that mean something about spiritual truth. I hope I'm building this picture with you. Let's have another verse. Isaiah 61 and verse 3. It says this. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, mourning and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They don't actually put on a garment of praise. Because otherwise Sarah this morning would have got up to lead worship in this garment. And we'd all be going into praise now. It's about an inner condition. It's about an inner condition. The reason our worship team can get up there and lead us in worship is because they've prepared their hearts all week. It's not about what clothes they were wearing. It's about the condition of their heart. They have to choose to wear the garment of praise so that they can take us somewhere they've already been. You can't take someone, you, someone you, you've never been there. So if you're going to worship lead, 
You need to have a heart that wears the garment of praise. Can you see the picture I'm trying to build up in you? It's about an inner condition. When God is talking to you about changing your clothes, he's saying what is going on on the inside of you isn't yet capable of handling where I want to take you. Will you change? We've talked about dreams recently. And it's exciting talking about dreams, isn't it? It's interesting hearing, hearing about the Slatter family. Oh, you know, we started dreaming again, now we're moving house. Dreams are starting to unfold. And it gets a bit scary because that might cost more money. You think, where's the money coming from? But I've got an altar that says my God will provide. So I'm moving forward anyway. Do you see? And, and, and so it is scary. Sarah and I are about to move house. So I'm with you, Joe. We'll stand together. Because it's scary. You think, oh, how's this going to work out? But my God is with us. And so is the condition of your heart, the condition of your faith, the condition of your inner person actually ready to handle the outrageous dream that God has put in your heart? And I want to suggest, not yet, for most people. Which is why God has said to me, Pastor Barry, will you tell my church, change their clothes? So my challenge and question to you today is, will you? Will you have a look at what's going on there inside of you so that you can position yourself to actually handle the dream that God wants you to have? You know, I listened to Paul Scanlon many years ago, a great preacher from up north, and he said this, sometimes your character... Your, your gift can't take you where your character can't handle it. You could be super gifted and go so far, but if you can't handle the, the success, if you can't handle the dream, it will end up leading to struggle. So God's saying to Equippers Church Essex, he's saying to you, I'm stirring dreams. I'm raising hopes. I'm bringing new things. But you need to change your clothes. You need to display what's going on on the inside of you because what was happening before is so last season. Are you with me? You've outgrown it. What you used to wear won't be good enough for where you want to go. And it's interesting you start unpacking some practicals around that. And, and I think of my son Josh, who's flipping awesome. Round of applause for him. But a father doesn't send his child into an arena he knows he can't handle. And we all can see Josh has leadership on his life. It's obvious. You've only got to speak to him for two minutes and you'll say, oh, he's a leader. <laughs> but if I says to Josh, okay, time for dad to step back. You're leading the church now. You'd probably all leave. <laughs> or maybe it'd grow. Maybe, maybe that's actually what I need to do. <laughs> Who clapped? <laughs> sure that was my dad <laughs> but it's fatherly of me to say to Josh I can see there's a gift in you but you don't yet have the character to handle that yet but what would it look like to lead youth 20 young people in your age group could you do that and he's gone on a journey when he took over youth a year ago there was four people on average attending might have been five we're averaging 17 now he's growing that why? Because the love of a father says you need to develop some stuff on the inside of you. Let's work with five kids. Let's see if we can grow that to 20 kids. Maybe we can get up to 30 kids and teach them and have fun with them and embrace them and walk out life with them. What's it doing? It's developing his character because at his age, he is having to not do things his friends are doing. 
How can you lead a Christian youth group and live that lifestyle they're living? You can't. So Josh is paying a price. It's doing something on his character. It's on every other Friday night. Who knows that most kids on a Friday night want to be out on the town, want to be out with their girl, want to be out doing something. But Josh is saying, I'll pay that price to honor you, God. So he's doing something on the inside of him. And it's good. Please pray for him. He's got bigness on his life. And so you look at that for you. You've got a dream, whatever that dream might be. But your father loves you. He says, I'll put that dream there. But you're not ready to handle it yet. You need to change your clothes. Something on the inside of you needs to act differently, think differently, feel differently, behave differently. Otherwise, you're going to get there and you're going to fail. And I don't want you to fail. So will you change your clothes? Are you hearing me? Jesus modeled this so well. You know, you look at the call on Jesus' life ultimately was to demonstrate to, to earth what the Father looked like. It was to come and lead as a servant and lay his life down for many. It was, it was a call to go and die on a cross that he didn't deserve. It was the call to, in that moment, fully believe that his Father would raise him again. And he walked it out. Amazing. And so people would talk to Jesus and he said, I only do what the Father's doing. That is declaring what's happening on the inside of Jesus. Could we be a church that says we only do what the Father's doing? Could you be a, 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 a mom or a dad or a student or a worker or a business person saying I'm only doing what the Father's doing? Because he's stirring something on the meat and it's positioning my character to handle where he wants to take me. You know, when Jesus was trying to teach his disciples, he had massive patience with them. I wonder how good your patience. If you're going to go somewhere, I promise you, you need patience. I had to develop stacks of it just to be married to Sarah. Oh. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> and Sarah's leading it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. He sent those disciples out. He sent them in twos. Right, there's a great model. Because where two or three are gathered, I'll be in the midst of you. Go together. Then you've got God with you. Go and see what happens. And if, if, they, if they don't like what you've got to say, that's fine. Just, just, just move away. And they come back. And when they didn't want to listen to them, they're like, Jesus, shall we call fire down from heaven? Yes, they won't listen. We'll get them. Die. <laughs> Jesus like, guys, you haven't quite got it yet, have you? You haven't got the character for this. If you're going to get upset every time someone listens to you, you're not there yet. Let's go on the journey again. He had patience. Their character wasn't ready to transform the world. They still needed him. And so he took them on a journey. I love that. Jesus, when you look at his life, he demonstrated generosity everywhere. And he demonstrated forgiveness and inclusion everywhere he went. That had to come from the inside of him. So when you look at your life, what's your generosity like? Because if you don't demonstrate generosity now, in that dream you've got, what are you going to be like then? You know, what's your forgiveness like? That's what the book was about. You know, if you're struggling to forgive people now, when you become successful, there's going to be a whole lot more people who have an opinion on you. Are you going to be able to forgive them then? God is doing something in our character that needs to be able to move to handle our future. All of this is going on the inside. So it's begging questions for me. Lots of questions. We can't keep the same attitude as last season. And expect new results in next season. We have to change. And that is a personal choice. 
I can't force you. I can only point you to Jesus. I can only point you to the Word. I can only point you to the Holy Spirit. But I hope you'll take this message seriously. Because if you will say, God, what is it in me that you need to change? And you are open to that. That's a frightening prayer to pray. But it's the best prayer to pray. Do something in me. What is it you need me to do? What is it you need me to change? Because as you change it, I promise you, what God is doing is setting you up for that future he's got for you. I have great plans for you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's not just revel in the verse and the promise. Let's revel in the change that needs to happen in me so I can handle the promise. Come on, something has to shift. It's almost like, you know, if I was to rock up in the shell suit next week, you'd all look at, do it, you'd all look at me and go, Barry, you look stupid. <laughs> My son went, that's normal. Barry, you look stupid. You don't wear that now. That's that, that might have been good then. It's not good now. But why do we think it's okay to turn up with last season's attitude? That's stupid. doesn't look good on you. Yeah, come on. So last season. Yeah, that's right. Doing that's not going to look good here. Yeah. And what about the future, let alone here? Yeah. Can you see the point that God is trying to ram home to us? We can't put the flares back on. And expect a new result. We have to change our clothes. Come on, touch the person next to say, change your clothes. <laughs> One of the things that has been a big, big, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback when I've talked on forgiveness. I think forgiveness is a huge deal. And forgiveness ultimately is a heart decision. Who knows, forgiveness doesn't feel good doesn't feel good. What feels good is punching them in the face. <laughs> feels great. But punching them in the face isn't going to get you where you want to go. Forgiveness is going to get you where you want to go. But that's an inner decision that says, okay, God, I want to be more like you. You know, Jesus was hanging on a cross. Everyone else has been tied up. He's been nailed up. He's had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. They are mocking him. King of the Jews, you saved everyone else. You can't save yourself. Spat in his face. He didn't even deserve to be there. Don't tell me you don't think Jesus doesn't understand why you're hurt and can't forgive someone. He gets it. But you know what he did? In his last breaths, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just wow. Could I be even a little bit like that? Here's the thought. If Jesus hadn't forgiven them, if Jesus hadn't had that development of his character on the inside in that moment, could he have been raised again? And the answer, I believe, is no. Because sin would have been found in him. But in that awful moment, he looked to his father and said, forgive them. Because where I am going, I cannot take unforgiveness. It's more important. It's more than my life that's at stake here. Father, forgive them. And then he rises, de defeating death. For who? The very people who were mocking him. Ironic. But right there, church, I don't know if you're struggling with forgiveness. But all I know is this. If you're holding someone else in forgiveness, you're wearing clothes that won't take you to the future. You've got to change them. It's for your good. The only person who gets hurt in unforgiveness is you. 
because the person you won't forgive probably don't even care anyway. It's you going to bed every night going, flippy stupid idiot, can't even believe they did that to me. God, bring fire down from heaven. Oh no, we're supposed to have learnt that one. You're holding yourself back. Change your clothes. Because that will hold you in your past when there's a glorious future for you. A future of freedom. Are you hearing me? Here's a garment I believe that isn't godly. Stress. Go on, by little raise of hand, let's be honest. Who's been feeling stressed recently? Love your honesty, church. Love your honesty, church. I love the fact that we can be open together. When we have our connect group in, in the week, one of the things we always say afterwards in our little chat boxes is, I love our openness. No one comes all proud that I've got it all together. We just say, oh, it's been, this has been difficult. And we pray for each other and we celebrate the victory. Isn't it good that we can be a church that goes, oh, I haven't got it all together, but my God is taking me somewhere. Stress isn't a garment to wear. Do you know why? Because what stress is really saying is, I'm unable to deal with and handle the lot that's in my life right now. And I'm saying that even though I love God, his standing with me isn't enough either. Because if it was enough, you wouldn't be stressed. So what we're really saying is, God, I trust you. And because I trust you, I don't have to be stressed. And so I take off the garment of stress and put on a garment of peace. And it's a faith declaration that comes out of the inside of me that says, my God's got me. He's, he's equipped me for this moment. Sometimes in my flesh I don't feel like he has, but I know he has. Do you know why I know he has? Because I've got altars. He was with me in the past, and he'll be with me now. And so therefore I choose, and it's a choice, church, I choose not to put on the garment of stress. Is there an amen somewhere in the house? Let's put on a garment of peace, a garment of faith, a garment of trust, a garment of courage that says, Lord, we're doing this together. I've never been on my own. You've always been in the middle of this. I'm, not, I'm choosing not to have stress. Amen? Amen? Could we put on a garment of generosity? It's a key garment of Jesus. You know, the Bible says those who refresh others will be refreshed themselves. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. You know, we want a bigger life. Generosity is a garment to wear. Find opportunities. I love the word it says, generous people find opportunities to be generous. Don't wait for the next offering. Don't wait for the next mega need you see. Go out today and think, where could I be generous? Could I help someone somewhere with my time, with, with some money, with a prayer, with a phone call? Whatever it might be, be generous with you. Find opportunities. And what you're saying is, I'm not stingy. Because that makes me small. I'm generous. I'm putting on the garment of generosity and my world's going to open up. It's a biblical principle. Are you hearing me? If you start looking at this kind of stuff and say, oh, wow, well, I don't even know what, you know, what, what am I supposed to be wearing then? Well, Galatians 5 gives us a great clue. The fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Glad I rattled them off. <laughs> If you're struggling about what to wear, start there. What's the love like in my life? What's the joy like in my life? How is my patience? And the biggie, how is my self-control? You know, these are the things we want to wear. And I want to lead it to this point in this message. This is the goal. This is the goal. When Jesus rose again, he folded the grave clothes. He got up and 
biblically speaking, and in that time when you fold a garment, it means this, I'm never going back there. The way I put it is, in our culture, when you've eaten your food and you leave your knife and fork separate, that means you're going back to your food. I'm having a break. I'm having a chat. I'm mopping my mouth. I'm used to having a toilet stop, whatever. When you put your knife and fork together, that means I'm done. I'm not going back. Does anyone else do that, or is that just me? Thank you, thank you. Got to be done. That's culture. In their culture, when you folded the clothes, it meant I'm not revisiting. So what Jesus said is, the clothes that once held me are never going to hold me again. I am folding them. You won't see me like that ever again. Church, could we fold up our old clothes? That stress, I am never going there again. That unforgiveness, I am never going there again. I am folding it up, never to put it on. And it will try and get you. It will. It will try and get you. But you've got to say, no, I'm not wearing it. It's not, you're not having me. I don't belong there anymore. I'm keeping on my garment of peace. Are you with me? Yeah. We're never going back there again. Jesus demonstrated it. Let's look at a couple of passages. Just as, you know, Jesus has, has been risen again. And they go to find him. And Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4 says this. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going, to, uh, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They didn't actually die, they passed out, fainted, whatever. But isn't it interesting that God in his inspired word wanted us to know what the angel was wearing? His garments were white as snow. And he was so pure and so holy that the people there couldn't stand in his presence. I think that's what the church should be like. Wouldn't it be amazing if we took our faith and our relationship with Jesus so seriously that we refused a place for sin in our life? We refused it. Not speaking like that, not thinking like that, I'm not doing that habit. It's not happening. It doesn't befit me because I'm a child of God, and we put on a garment of holiness. And we became so holy, so like Christ, that people with their issues came before us and like, whoa, I can't act like that around you. See, I don't think we want to see people passing, fainting. We want to see the spirits hindering those people passing away and fainting. That they come into the presence of the church and they're like, there's such a garment of holiness on this church. I can't function here. I act like I'm dead. That's the church we want to be. I love that. Look what happens. Look what happens with Jesus. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 16. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and, and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Here's the thing. Mary knew Jesus. 
you follow her story, she walked with Jesus, she even part-funded his ministry through her wealth. She knew Jesus. She was the one that Jesus cast out seven demons from. She knew Jesus. But Jesus had come to a place where he said, not wearing them anymore. And even his closest friends didn't recognize him. He had moved to such a place of glory, such a place of power, such a place of peace, such a place of purpose that even his best friend didn't recognize him. It was only when he said her name that she was like, wow, it's you. Here's my challenge. Could we rid ourselves so much of last season's clothes and put on the kind of clothes that befit who we really are? that even our closest friends stop recognizing us. Wow, you've gone to a new level. There's such purpose. Your language has changed. Your countenance is different. There's something about you. I've known you all these years and you're just different. And you're like, yeah, I changed my clothes. I changed my clothes. In fact, I folded up the old ones. You'll never see me like that again. Because now I'm full of forgiveness. I'm full of acceptance. I'm walking in a new level of power. Because it honours my king. We are here to represent Jesus. We are here to call heaven to earth. We are here to be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. And to really do that, church, we've got to change our clothes. I hope it's been a pictorial message. Have you got it? Have you heard it? Is it stirring in your heart? Could I pray for you? Jesus. Let me just invite you just to close your eyes a moment. Let's just give everyone their moment. You take your moment. Father, and I thank you that your presence has been with us all through today's gathering. I know it would have been with the children too. Thank you. I thank you that we've had moments of laughter. But I want to thank you that there's a cutting edge to this message. That you want to cut away from us all that's hindered us. You want to remove from us the stumbling blocks. But thank you, Lord, you love us so much, you won't force it. You give us choice. So we choose, Lord God, to change our clothes. We ask you, Lord God, highlight to me, what do I need to take off? What's holding me here? What am I looking back at that's actually preserving that horrible moment? Remind us of the altar moments, Lord, where you've revealed yourself to us, you've empowered us, you've spoken to us, that will propel us forward and encourage us. just with every eye closed if there's anyone here relating to the whole idea of stress has stress been gripping you do you relate to the idea of you've almost got the cloak of stress on is it costing you sleep is it costing you mental anxiety is it on your lips just with every eye closed if you relate to that can you give me a wave because I'd love to pray for you bless you bless you bless you bless you bless you bless you lots of people Father God, you've seen the hands. 
I break the power of stress over your life right now in Jesus' name. Stress cannot have you. You're a child of the King. You were bought at a price. So even in your mind, maybe it's helpful just to picture yourself taking that cloak of stress off. Remove it. Maybe that's helpful. But I speak a garment of peace over you. A garment of faith over you. This is your truth. Your God has got you. Your God has your future in his hands. And it can never be taken from you. So peace. Peace to you. Peace to you. Receive it. Maybe picture yourself putting that garment of peace on saying yes. I encourage you to come and chat to someone afterwards. Maybe get some prayer if that's helpful. What about the area of unforgiveness? Is that something that you're struggling with and you're thinking, yeah, I've been wearing that. It's the day of the day you choose to take that off. Just a game with every eye closed. I'd love to pray for you. Is that you? You're struggling with unforgiveness. Give me a wave. That's you. God bless you there. God bless you there. God bless you there. Thank you, Lord. Father, again, you've seen the hands. I stand with my brothers and sisters as we choose to let it go. Come on, you choose. Only you can choose. Lay it at the foot of the cross. I let it go. I leave it with you. I take that garment of unforgiveness off and I leave it with you, Jesus. And I put on the garment of forgiveness. And that will propel you forward. Don't look back at whatever happened anymore. It's holding you there. Keep your eyes on Jesus now. And he will empower you and walk you forward into a new place of freedom. I declare it over you. In Jesus' name. I just invite you all to stand. I think it's a good moment to stand. Let's just maintain the, the moment. Please remember, we will have people to pray at the end. If any of this is staring in you and you'd find it helpful to pray with someone, there will be people here at the end. Are you someone today who feels like it would be helpful to make a response to this message? A declaration to heaven, if you like. To say, Lord, you've highlighted some things to me. And today I choose to take those garments off that you've highlighted and I choose to replace them with the fruits of the Spirit. I choose to replace them with generosity. I choose to replace them with holiness. Come on, if that's you today, I just invite you to raise both hands as a declaration to heaven and say, we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray that over you and today will be a new day for you. Come on, church, let's get active. Let's raise our hands and say, that's me. Today's a new day. I'm taking off the clothes of my history. I'm putting on the clothes that are going to take me forward. God bless you, so many people. That's so, so good. Father God, you see everyone here, your children. Today we choose to take off the garments of our past, of the last season that are holding us there. And today we choose to put on the garments that you are highlighting to us to move us into our future. I pray, Lord God, that you would walk us hand in hand into our future that you never ask us to do it on our own but you say I will be with you I will never leave you I'll never forsake you 
we're in this together. Can you see yourself as a child of God? All I know is I would never let my children struggle on their own. I'll be right in there with them. And that's how God sees you. He's never going to let you struggle on your own. He's right in there with you. So don't allow any thought of the enemy to put a garment on you that doesn't belong on you. Keep it off. Holy. 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 That's your calling. Set apart to God. To reflect him well. Lord, my prayer, Father God, is that people in this church, people who might hear this message, would go into such a transformation that even their friends and family and work colleagues will say there's something different about you. And this would be an altar moment. Maybe this could be an altar moment for you right now. That I choose. I choose. Just with every eye closed, just for one last prayer. Is there anyone here who feels distant from Jesus? never known him maybe or slipped away I want to give you a chance to say Lord I want you in the middle of my world come and live my heart again let it slide but you're welcome here if that's you just with every eye closed give me a wave and I'm going to pray with you God bless you there God bless you there thank you God bless you at the back that's three people I can see responding God bless you over there yeah, that's four people God's moving church heaven rejoices let's do this I'll pray a line and then all of us together will pray a line but remember we're standing with our brothers and sisters who are getting right with Jesus this is great let's pray Father God thank you that you love me today I invite you to live in my heart I'm sorry for where I've done things my way but today I choose to do things your way you're my Lord my saviour, my friend. Amen. Hey, let's thank Father God for all he's doing in our midst.